If you want to have people coming into your business who feel comfortable and included, then that needs to be reflected in your teams and in your, your, your business culture. It's great to have diversity, but if your diversity uh, doesn't move up the ladder, then your employees won't feel like they have that upward momentum in the company. I think it comes down to two key points of empathy, you know, to put yourselves in, in the shoes of others, and also a desire to include people who perhaps you wouldn't normally see in your coffee shops. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. And today we'll be exploring the important topic of diversity and inclusion in the coffee industry. We'll be asking, why is it important to have a diverse workforce? What do we mean by inclusion? And what are the business benefits of embracing diversity and inclusion from your staff, your customers, all the way to the design of coffee spaces? We'll hear from Jessica Warden of Gales Bakery, Tim Blanchard, an avid attendee of the London Coffee Festival. And we're beginning by speaking with industry legend Lem Butler, co-founder of Black and White Coffee Roasters and the first black finalist at the World Barista Championships. Welcome, Lem. Thank you for having me. How do you see this whole topic of diversity and inclusion? I think folks should embrace this with open arms yep. and, and not have fear. I, I guess the fear comes in with being scared of doing it wrong or not doing anything at all. Um, That whole kind of falling into complacency. Mm. Uh, And that's been the the trouble in the past. It's been this kind of complacent dynamic where our company says one thing, so I don't have to develop myself in understanding what inclusion is. So I think it's more of like, uh, well, well, one, I think we have to define diversity and define inclusion. Mm Mm-hmm. If we can start coming with like definitions and then we can start holding that mirror up and, and seeing how we involve ourselves in that. Um, I always looked at diversity as, as sort of like a numbers game, like how many people of color involved in the company, how many folks that identify as women identify as male or gender neutral. It's, it's more of a numbers thing. You know, you can have a diverse company, but that could be problematic because if those folks aren't at the table making decisions, then they're not really included in the company and in the, the making of company policies. And that's where we can get into that problem of complacency. So you can say my company is diverse, but if you look at the leadership team, it's all white males. So inclusion, you're including your diverse staff in policymaking and that seat at the table on that leadership team. We, we have to define those terms and understand what those terms mean. I think that's the first step. Mm. How do you think the coffee industry ranks in terms of its diversity and inclusion? You know, score out of 10. Uh, out of 10? <laughs> you said it was a numbers uh, it's, game. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's tough. I came into coffee in 2003 and the the landscape was like 
completely different than, than it is now. So I feel like the industry has made some great progress, some great traction towards inclusion. Here's an example. So in 2003, I applied for a coffee position, a barista position. And in the interview was the owner, a white woman, and her GM, which was another white woman. Mm-hmm. And the GM, she didn't want to hire me, but the owner did want to hire me. Um, yeah. And looking at the staff was mostly white women. And so the gatekeeping of the GM, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but she felt like she wanted to hire white women. And that's mm-hmm. what she did. But the owner stepped in during my interview and said, no, we need to hire this guy. Now, if let's say she left that up to her general manager to make all the hiring uh, decisions, I would have never gotten a job in coffee. And I would probably not be in coffee. And I've been in coffee for almost 20 years. So there's that dynamic of, here's a person that's in charge of making decisions. This person has a seat at the table and this person can make these decisions. And they can be that gatekeeper and whether it's intentional or not to block people of color into this company. And also when she hired me, I had no plans in staying in coffee, but I discovered the barista competitions and that made me pursue perfection. It made me pursue being the best in my field. And the owner took note of that and she put me in charge of of training all the new staff. So she invited me to the table to rewrite the whole training manual to make decisions in education in her company. So that was a a, a moment of inclusion where I feel that her general manager, I don't know if she didn't have the power or she had the desire. If it was all left up to her, that would never have happened. I feel like I followed the owner. The decisions she made, how she treated her staff, how she was very inclusive in her management team to make decisions for the company. And I felt that was the norm. But as I started to compete and got into the industry more and went to my first expo, I started to notice something similar to my history in whatever I was involved in. I was one of few black musicians in the top band in high school. I was one of the few black musicians in the marching band when I was the first uh, of two high school students in my neighborhood, uh, which was 98% black to uh, actually go to college. And when I went to college, I went to a predominantly white college. So I was always in these atmospheres that, you know, didn't really, look like me or were very inclusive. And I felt like I had to work extra hard to do just as much as my counterparts. So when I got to coffee, I started to see the same thing. I was one of two black baristas to compete in nationals. And then that even changed to, I was the only black barista out of maybe a hundred baristas to compete in the barista competitions. And then I also started to see as I'm at these events, where folks would enjoy my company, but they would never invite me to the gatherings, the in-crowd, which was predominantly white. And then when I went over to work for a coffee roastery, 
it was the same thing. It was the lip service of we are a diverse company, but the leadership team was all white and mostly all white men for the longest time. So some of the issues that came out was more of where do I fit in? I just had to create my own niche in the companies where I work. And I don't know if it turned me into a gatekeeper. I feel me competing was more of, okay, I don't see competitors or judges that look like me, but I will be that diversity to help others feel that they can do something similar to what I'm doing. So it's that kind of trailblazer mentality of I'm going to blaze this trail for folks who want to get into the industry who don't see themselves, but I'll be that face. And I've seen the change because of that. And I've seen more and more black baristas compete. I've seen more and more black baristas behind the bar. And now I'm seeing more ownership as well. Cafes, roasteries, et cetera. And, and I always felt like the norm for me was just to put in extra work. And that's what I did. And what it's what I still do now. You know? And do you think that's still the case today? Yes, yes, I, I think so. I think it's still the case. I feel that there is more attention on what inclusivity really means in a company. And that is helpful. But there's just this long tradition of in the US, I'm not I can't speak mm-hmm. for the UK. But in the U.S., it's just this long tradition of systemic racism where you can be qualified for the position, but you're not going to get the position because someone else less qualified than you looks like everyone else in the company. It's embedded so deep in our culture in the U.S. that it will take a lot for people of color, or people of whether they identify female, male, or non-binary. It's just going to be harder for them to... Uh, have a seat at the table. How do you now operate your own business with the the theme of inclusivity and diversity? Yeah, we're still a small company. Both Kyle and I are really involved with, you know, the hiring of staff. You know, it, it was 2020 actually made us look at our company a little more in depth because we felt like the pandemic, especially the lockdown, just broke our company apart. But we had three cafes, in a roastery, it was almost like we had four different businesses operating on their own and there was no like interconnection. So after the lockdowns and we started to get back to some sort of normalcy, we decided to establish a leadership team with hopes of bringing the company back to as one company and have this leadership team focus on policy decisions, decisions for the different departments. And it was important to have key people on that leadership team. So that inclusivity piece was really important. So we wanted to make our leadership team reflective of the entire company. And that's what we've managed to do. And I'm starting to see companies bring in more marginalized groups into their leadership team. And and I think that's the step in the right direction. It's great to have diversity, but if your diversity Uh, doesn't move up the ladder, then your employees won't feel like they have that upward momentum in the company. Uh, And I think that's important for the company's culture and for the company's success. Can you talk to any particular challenges you or the industry is facing as we try to bring more diversity into leadership positions? One of the 
largest problems that we're having now is, you know, we'll, we'll train baristas. And then if we don't have employee retention, then they're going to go on to bigger things. Um, so, yeah, staffing is, is just one is a nightmare right now. I think now it's just getting some bodies in the door that are capable of working. And from there, making sure that your company does have true upward mobility, because that's one thing that's going to be helpful in, in employee retention, because if employees feel like they could advance in the company, then they'll continue to invest their time in that company uh, with hopes of continuing on with a, a better position or a higher role or that seat at the table to uh, influence policy in the company influence their hiring practices, uh, training practices. I, I, I listened to this podcast a while ago about um, inclusion and they were talking about how companies need to dive a little deeper into these personal connections with staff members. Because if you have you know, a person of color you know, on the way to work can have anywhere from 10 to 20 microaggressions that are based in systemic racism and then when they get to work uh, they're just overwhelmed with what's happening in their life that they really don't have any control over and just that kind of day-to-day check-in with staff members just to see how they're doing uh, what they're dealing with that can be huge with employees one thing that i did very early on in my coffee career from jane brown the owner of the cafe where i work she told me very early on that her secret to her success in coffee was to take care of the people and take care of the product. And especially coffee, most of us, we take care of the product and we neglect the people and we have to take care of the people, whether it's our customers on one side, but we can't forget about our staff, the people that we work with every day. So that's one thing I think companies can start focusing more on taking care of their people, making sure they have a place, a comfortable place in the company and that upper mobility and that seat at the table if possible. If you had an ability to wave a wand and go, right, what are the, the building blocks that could be put in place? Oh, man, wow. <laughs> Ask you to sort Magic of, wand, yes, huh? Yeah, yeah. magic yeah. wand. <laughs> <laughs> um, people have to start looking inwards at themselves and asking these hard questions. Am I being diverse? Am I being inclusive? Lem, uh, thanks so much for sharing all that. I need to ask myself all those questions as well. Yeah, 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 me too, man, as a business owner, because I've worked for other people all my life and I've complained and pointed the finger. And now I'm in that position where people can complain and start pointing the finger. And I want to make sure that my actions are, are true to my words. I have to ask myself these questions too. Excellent. You've left us with a lot of thought-provoking content. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciated Lem sharing his own experiences navigating professional life as a person of color in the coffee industry. And his advice to coffee shop operators was excellent. So to recap, to understand whether your business is diverse and inclusive, you can first start by looking at the numbers. How diverse is your workforce? Does your management team reflect that diversity and are all stakeholder voices represented in decision-making? Next, we're speaking with Jessica Warden, head of coffee at Gales, a UK bakery chain that is striving to prioritise diversity and inclusion into its hiring strategy and management team. 
Jessica is in a same-sex relationship and is a working mother-to-be. Thanks for joining us here again on Fifth Wave. Thanks for having me. How would you define the term diversity inclusion in, in, a, in a coffee workplace setting? So when you're thinking about a place like London, which is where we have most of our bakeries and where the bulk of my coffee career has been, you've already got like such a diverse group of people coming from different countries and really vastly different lived experiences. And in terms of diversity and inclusion, like the diversity is often already there, although perhaps in particular businesses, not as broad as we'd like. But in terms of inclusion, it's where the people that are working there feel respected and included in the environment that they work in. So they have equal access to opportunity and development, and they feel as though the place that they work celebrates their individual traits and talents, the the things that only they can bring to a uh, coffee shop, uh, cafe or bakery environment. Yeah, so... The bigger issue is actual genuine inclusion. Yeah. And I think part of that is also redefining what a coffee professional looks like, as well as how their success is measured and supported within a business and its culture. So in terms of actual inclusion, that comes down to your hiring practices, your onboarding. So how you support people to enter into your business and how you give them the tools to thrive. Now, Gales is a I guess, a women-led business in many ways and seems to have an excellent reputation for staff and treating staff. And, you know, we've spoken to you previously about your culture. Are there any challenges that you guys face in, in actually living up to the vision that you really aspire to? Yeah, I think every business faces those challenges. The hospitality industry and specifically coffee, where Uh, A lot of the focus is on manual craft execution of fantastic product that presents a lot of challenges. Gales wasn't always a a woman-led business. We have made fantastic strides in reducing the gender pay gap and having better gender representation across the different levels of the business with a high percentage of women in leadership roles. And that's fantastic, but true diversity and inclusion is continually assessing where you're at, understanding where your gaps are and planning how you move forward and what the things are that you as a business can sustainably support to become practice in the workplace. So for for Gales, that's um, looking at the partnerships that we can build. So working with charities like uh, Well Grounded and seeing how we can look to different channels to attract people to our workplace. So not just looking at your traditional job pool where you're hiring people with lots of hospitality experience, but instead looking at groups of people who perhaps haven't had access to a hospitality career in the past, but are quite interested and highly capable. Great. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about Well Grounded and what the partnership is and how you work with them. Well Grounded is a charity that works with young people who are out of work to train them in uh, barista and hospitality skills, as well as give them access to training experiences or workplace experiences. And some of the work that we've done with them in the past was to provide access for their graduates to interview with us um, 
During the pandemic, we were one of the few employers who were actively recruiting because we were able to stay open as a bakery business in the UK. And we facilitated the first work placement in one of our bakeries mm-hmm. of one of their trainees. And so it's the beginning of a partnership that we're looking to build on as we move forward. And is this just what you believe in as a business or are there some actual business benefits for working with groups such as this? Our approach to craft and and coffee specifically has always been that we want to work with great people and we know that we work with great products and we've always been invested in growing and developing our team. So our approach to hiring has always been very much people-focused and having a strong training program to support them in their development. And I think that approach naturally extends itself to working with individuals who haven't had access to uh, the hospitality industry in the past. Uh, Well-Grounded is one of the groups that we're working with. Mm -hmm. We've also started doing initial work to work with only a pavement away as well as working chance. And I think it's all about increasing your access to people who could work for you. I think traditional routes to employment always rely on hospitality job boards that you really only are in the know about if you work in hospitality and you feel like these jobs are open to you. Whereas our approach has always been about finding the right people. And uh, a, a lot of the work that we're doing now is understanding how can we create the right environments, but also the right communication channels and partnerships to find those people who are really fantastically suited to work for our business. Now, it's not uncommon for cafe floor staff to face hostility from customers. And depending on the situation, this hostility can take a mental toll over time. How do you approach this problem at Gales? Yeah, Gales runs uh, listening groups twice yearly for our teams in different job roles. So uh, some of the things that are discussed in these uh, sessions are inclusion and well-being yep. and facilitate an opportunity for everyone who's participating in that conversation to give feedback. What that does is it creates a space for collective input where a, a broader group of people are able to articulate what their needs are and how a, a business can work towards meeting them. But I think if the business is fostering an internal culture, that naturally translates through to the workplace. So when you have an inclusive culture within your teams, the environment that you create in the workflow space that the customers engage with is an inclusive space. Mm. So on the one hand, while you may have a customer who's Having a bad day, we've all been there where you've had someone who's just come in, they're a bit negative. If you've got the right structure in place, as well as the the right culture in place, the team will be better equipped to turn that experience around. And equally, vice versa, if you have an inclusive culture embedded in your business, you are in a better position to attract a more diverse group of customers. Yeah. So I think it goes very much both ways. If you want to have people coming into your business who feel comfortable and included, then that needs to be reflected in your teams and in your, your, your business culture. So they're, I think they're very much interlinked. So 
that inclusive culture provides an opportunity to attract a diverse customer base, which the type of customer base you want anyway, but more customers. Yeah. I mean, it increases your, your potential for sales. Like the number of people who want to have a lovely croissant and a beautiful cup of coffee is fortunately for our industry, quite a big group. And so the challenge becomes, how do you tailor your business your range to appeal to a broad number of people. But equally, how do you prepare your team so that when you have such a broad group of people coming in, that they all feel welcome, that they all feel validated in their choices when it comes to what kind of coffee they like, but equally also that they feel respected and appreciated. Do we have a member of the team who is perhaps transitioning, which is such such an incredibly intense period of your life, do they feel supported in their personal journey? Is the manager who uh, decides some of their day-to-day work having the right conversations with them about their needs? Is the team sensitive to their preferred pronoun? Those sorts of things are so much more important through to you've got a, a couple that walks in that's clearly a couple and you know, you use the right language to make them feel respected in their relationship. Now, you're about to become a mother. Mm -hmm. And presumably, that means time off, that means flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. Children bring another whole dimension to the idea of can people work? Can they maintain a job? Can they feel Mm -hmm. comfortable to take time off? How do you structure for people with children? Yeah, so this is some recent work that we've done that I cannot take credit for. It's our people director, Miranda Burgum, and Haley Connor, who's our group head of people. So we recently introduced more benefits that promote inclusion. So that's enhanced maternity pay, enhanced parental leave, as well as grandparents' leave. And those sorts of things, as well as creating an environment where parents in particular feel like there's enough flexibility that their needs can be met, whether that's a high level of flexibility around a shift work and ROTAS through to uh, a flexible working for our support teams. I, and I do feel like that is culture that we've created that is really special and unique. When I've had initial conversations about my maternity leave, I've been encouraged to take as much time as my family needs and Mm -hmm. to really hold those considerations first and foremost and been assured that my job will be there for me when I'm ready to come back. And the conversations have been more focused on, yes, to set everything up so that I'm leaving my department in good order, but equally also to take care of myself and and my family as I go into this very new, uh, very new journey. What are the steps that are important to take account to when you're onboarding new staff in relation to diversity and inclusion? So to be included is to become part of something. So a business, it's culture, and really feeling like living and breathing the knowledge that your personal contribution adds to the whole. So when it comes to the onboarding process, it's so important to think of your workspaces as an environment where you want to facilitate how individuals thrive in collaboration with each other and how you 
can create an environment where the diversity of a workforce's combined lived experiences create a really rich texture to build and grow from. And when it comes to your initial few shifts in a new work environment, it's so important to consider who is facilitating that experience. How much time are you giving to the person to learn the key information that will support them in their role? What tools are you giving to them so that they can access that information at a later stage? Because there's usually so much that's happening and you're trying to absorb so much at once that it can be really challenging to hold it all. And also like longer term, how much clarity are you giving your teams in terms of their own development? Uh, A lot of the time, I feel that true inclusion can be inhibited because there's maybe a communication breakdown between an individual and their line manager. So they just aren't aware of the opportunities. And maybe that's just because they naturally just don't gel very well. And that can lead to a sense of not being included. Mm. And I think as a business, there are things that you can put in place so that people have consistent and clear information that they can easily access about what support they have access to, whether that's uh, well-being, to HR policies, through to the educational tools that you might use in your business, to the development opportunities, what that looks like, having a really clear outline of the steps that are required to grow within a business. Wow, that was an amazing way to end it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My takeaway after speaking with Jessica is having a diversity policy isn't enough to be an inclusive employer. Jessica builds on Lem's observation and makes the point that hiring a diverse set of people is only the first step, but inclusion is the real test and begs the question, are we giving decision-making opportunities to a sufficiently diverse set of employees? To wrap things up, I'd like to take you into a very personal conversation I had with Tim Blanchard, a Londoner and avid fan of Allegra's London Coffee Festival. He frequently requires the use of a wheelchair to get around. Last year, after receiving an important wake-up call from one festival goer with physical disabilities, we created a task force to better understand and address the issue of accessibility at our festivals. I invited Tim to be part of this task force and we've been developing ways of making the festival more inclusive for all attendees. In this conversation, we hear what the coffee industry looks like through the eyes of a wheelchair user, but also Tim's perspective on achieving genuine inclusion from all communities. Uh, Welcome, Tim. Thanks, Jeffrey. Great to be here. I wonder if you might want to tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, what sort of challenges you have with accessibility in normal circumstances? I have cerebral palsy, which is a condition that I was born with, and this affects my movement. As a result of this, I uh, I can walk, but I get around using a combination of a mobility scooter or a wheelchair, depending on the environment. I've been a long-time fan of the London Coffee Festival. I've been going since 2017, and that is given the uh, London Coffee Festival their drive to try and make the festival more accessible is, is sort of how I've been doing a bit of work with yourself and the wider team. Thank you for your your contributions, actually, and it, and it was um, something that we 
as a business really believe in, but sometimes not always understanding and um, commissioning you to really provide us with some advice this year. Um, and also fully upfront here, the challenges that we have faced and, and actually embarrassed to say that we weren't up to scratch as the London Coffee Festival and in full transparency, not good enough from our point of view. And we had a, a lot of work to do. I wonder if you could maybe explain to the audience, you know, some of the challenges you had in visiting the London Coffee Festival. So the Truman Brewery, I think it has great appeal because being in the heart of Shoreditch, it's really front and centre of the London coffee scene and has been a focal point for festivals since they began. I think one of the main issues with the Truman Brewery as a building is that it's quite an old building and such. In order for the building to be accessible, one of the main issues is that in order to get around, you have to use the service lifts. These can be quite tricky to track down. You have to go through a lot of the back passages of the building and Generally, it can be quite a tiring day trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B. You'll know yourself, the London Coffee Festival is a very successful and very busy event. I think for most able-bodied people, it can sometimes be overwhelming and a challenge to navigate just because there's so much going on and there's so many people and there's, there's lots of little nooks and crannies. And I think these difficulties are amplified when you're trying to get from floor one to floor two you're not quite sure where the lift is in previous years it wasn't quite clear who to ask and I think as a disabled person it was probably one of the more challenging experiences of, of the calendar the London Coffee Festival has always been a highlight for me and and continues to be but one of the things that I've been left with more so in previous years is just how challenging it is to get around. What are some of the things that you wanted us to actually action? So it's really important to view this as like a long-term and incremental change. I think it's great that you recognise that you didn't know enough because I think the most important thing in making that first step is a shift in mindset to making somewhere more accessible and recognizing that it's an issue I think that's a really important first step I think the on a more practical sense for me the first issue was around the awareness of the staff so I know there's been uh, incidents in the past where perhaps disabled people have not quite received like the responses and the care that they would expect. Not necessarily me, but I, I know there's stories of other people. Yeah. So the first thing that I really wanted to do was to make sure that the staff that were running the festival were more aware, not necessarily the Allegra staff, but also any third parties that were used for security. Really just having an awareness of how to best support people with mobility issues the second thing was uh, signposting so making sure that the entrances to the lifts and the accessible entrances were signposted correctly so that if you came to the festival for the first time you would know better how to navigate the festival mm. but I think one of the main takeaways that I had from this year 
in previous years, I've, I've been on the industry day because I've always tried to go on a day that's a little bit more quiet. This year, for various reasons, I ended up going on one of the public days. And what I was really surprised by was the amount of diversity that I saw in the crowd. So I saw several wheelchair users. I saw a man who was visually impaired. Uh, I saw a few elderly people, a few people who were pregnant and a few people with small children and buggies. And I think for all these groups of people, whether it be pregnant people, elderly people, visually impaired or indeed disabled like myself, I think accessibility in one form or another will not be far from their minds. So I think it's really important to bear in mind throughout this conversation and and going forward is that just these issues, if they won't affect you directly, they'll affect someone you know. It's a whole range of people across our society. Issues of accessibility will tend to impact far more people than you initially think. Next Steps Thinking Aloud now might be to really impress upon the owners of the Truon Brewery that this is something that they need now to take uh, seriously as well and actually take the plunge and put those lifts in. I, I would definitely agree. What are some of the experiences that you encounter when you're out and about visiting coffee shops in your daily life beyond the, the festivals? Most of them are pretty good, I think, in terms of making sure uh, people are accommodating. So I work in Leather Lane in London, And I'll just uh, give a quick shout out to a really positive experience I had the other day. So Leather Lane in London, Federation Coffee, have have just opened a branch there. I went in, I appeared at the door and the guy who's running it, Scott, I believe, came to the door and said, oh, we have a ramp, do you need it? And I was like, no, I'm happy to get out and walk. And then he made me my coffee and then he offered to carry it. Often, I think with accessibility, it's sometimes it is huge, huge changes. Like, unfortunately, having to, you know, install a lift into an ancient building. But I think more often than not, it's just about taking a small moment to pause, reflect, and think about any obstacles that that person may encounter. So, if they're disabled, are they going to be able to carry their cup of coffee? Might they need a straw if they have challenges with drinking or or swallowing or something like that? It's just able-bodied people just to take a moment, pause, and just ask. And I think, don't be afraid to ask. Never be afraid to ask, even if someone declines your help. Because I think people are often intimidated as to the best way in which they can assist someone. But if you go in with an open mind, with the intention of working with that person, then you know the worst they're going to say is no. That's really amazing. And then just sort of practical initiatives that coffee operators can take to make sure their outlets are as accessible as possible. One of the big ones is, is seating. I went into a, a quite a famous coffee shop, who, who I won't mention, and they didn't have any seating in their branch because I think they were trying to push this like really high turnover model. And I, I had a conversation with the owner and I, I mentioned seating and they were receptive to the idea of putting seats in. But I was disappointed that there weren't seats there in the first instance. And again, I, th- I think it comes down to two key points of 
empathy, being able to put yourselves in, in the shoes of others, and also a desire to include people who perhaps you wouldn't normally see in your coffee shop. So, you know, if your clientele is mainly people of a certain type, think about how an elderly person may wish to come and experience your coffee shop or a person with visual impairment. It's it's really down to the individual shop and, and the layout of the shop, but I think more so than like actual adjustments to your setup I think again it comes down to that shift in mindset so having an awareness if you see someone approaching your coffee shop with a physical impairment are you prepared mentally to have that conversation about how you could best assist them have you thought about your setup and how that might present challenges you know if you have a toilet have you made provisions for people with disabilities to use the toilet if that's not possible do you know where the nearest disabled toilet is but again it comes down to that shift in mindset and thinking about how you can make adaptions and adjustments even if they're they're small steps in the right direction great tim that's been absolutely amazing thanks for joining us on fifth wave Oh, thank you so much, Jeffrey. It's been great. Thank you. Tim's key message here, shift your mindset and put yourself in the shoes of somebody else and imagine what their experience is. In short, empathy. Reflecting on everything we heard here today, not only do I believe it's the right thing to do, I'm certain there are clear business benefits if we put into practice the excellent advice from our guests today. The coffee industry touches so many people and we have an opportunity to lead the way in bringing more diversity into our workforce and into our decision making. This will ultimately translate our industry appealing to a broader range of customers and more loyal and engaged staff. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts and we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed this show. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song in collaboration with The Coffee Music Project is I Got a Hope by London-based artist Coco. And until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. Quiet mind Living normal trains Like that evening of July I hope I can wash away All my dirty sins Quite sure Can't you hear the rift In the corners of my voice I gotta feel I gotta lies And I'm
I don't